1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a AM member FDSE.
2: I think it's an exciting opportunity for us to now um, sort of set off on a new direction. Play football and create an environment that uh, embodies the values and traditions of this Fantastic football club. Benton
0: Through for Pedro Toro. And he smashed it in. Oh, that's a great stop from Vicario. And Kulosevsky rolls it in. Van Davis! And a shot.
2: <laughs> goes on! And
0: scores. Pichaleta. And it ended up in the back of the net. Here is La Celso freshly introduced and scoring. Now skipped. Five. Romero.
2: chance for... Ah! That is quite something from James Madison. Hello and welcome to a last word on Spurs special. Talking of words, it's book review time <laughs> again. Yeah, it's becoming a bit of a regular feature now, Jace, isn't it? The, the books. I've done so much reading, mate. I've given up on the Beano and the Dandy and this. <laughs> I'm into Spurs books now. And didn't Ricky do well asking somebody from Hackney from the 60s to uh, to 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 host a book review. Books are like kryptonite to us in Hackney. But, but listen, uh, welcome along. It's uh, three old men shouting at clouds that remember football from the eighties. You you kids, honestly, you talk about Spursy, and uh, I'll see your Spursy and raise you the 86-87 season. This isn't a new thing, kids. By the way, this is. It has been forever. Us. Joining us uh, this evening, uh, this afternoon, or this morning, whenever you're listening to this, uh, the author of Fantastic Disappointment, which could literally be uh, the Tottenham motto, couldn't it? That could replace to dare is to do, couldn't it? Name of the book, Fantastic Disappointment, name of the author, uh, Stephen Peace. Stephen, how are you?
1: Crackers, I'm I'm fine, thank you. Um, Absolute pleasure to be with you guys, thank you.
2: Good stuff. Uh, Okay, Stephen, so listen, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to support uh, Tottenham, yet another unlucky bugger uh, amongst the the thousands of us. Uh, The story behind the book, why you wrote it, and that season in particular.
1: Okay. um, Like most Spurs fans, I probably still have my dad to thank for that. Um, My dad was kind of born on the south coast. He moved up to London um, kind of late 50s, early 60s um, in his teens. And he started going to Tottenham. He started going to watch them during the, the double winning season. Um, and he, he was kind of hooked from, from then on. Um, so, yeah, my dad support them. So me and my brother, we had to support them. And it kind of started from there. So, um, yeah, th- there's there's been many times when I've kind of lamented him over the years thinking, well, why did you, why did you put me in front of these clowns? Um, but there are times when they've been absolutely superb but do you know crackers the point of the book fantastic disappointment was was to just try to summarize the particular season that, that I've I've kind of covered um because it was absolutely fantastic but it was also a ridiculous disappointment but I'm sure mm. we'll probably kind of get into some of the crux of it uh,
2: absolutely we will uh, by the way because I'll always forget these things at FD book THFC on the social, Stephen, is that correct? Yeah, for people Absolutely, to yeah. be out of foliar. I'm not normally supposed to in. do that at the end of the show, but I thought I'll get it in when i remembered it then, haven't I? So, uh, uh, listen, there's plenty of input uh, into the book from uh, the players and, of course, David Pleat, manager at the time, um, but also the opposition players from that 86 87 uh, season. Um, A really thorough story of all all what went on and the events uh, surrounding the club. So I suppose with the opposition players, good to get people that could see the wood for the trees, wasn't it, as well, and get their perspective on it?
1: Absolutely. Um, I mean, when when I started this, um, I I kind of had a bit of an idea. Um, I wanted to cover it because... This was my first season as a a season ticket holder at Spurs. Um, I've been to Spurs a few times, um, many uh, before that. um, But this was the first year that um, we had a season ticket at Tottenham. Um, So going through the year, there were so many things that I did remember. And kind of speaking off air, Jason and I were both saying there's something weird about this season that... There's an element of a photographic memory about things that happened where we can sometimes forget about things that happened a few years ago. But this season, there was, there was something completely different. So I, I kind of had a bit of an idea because I thought no one had ever covered this story in depth. And there's a story that a lot of people do remember, not just Spurs fans, but others as well. Um, and how it sort of came about, I'd um, I'd listened to a podcast, I think it was during COVID. It was about Italy '90. And it was like a 30-day, 35-day podcast which covered the whole of the 1990 World Cup. Every day they'd cover, the the games covered that day. And it was run by a guy called Mark Godfrey who who kind of runs Football Pink and stuff like that. And one of the authors he had on it was a guy called Simon Hart who wrote World in Motion, which is a superb in-depth book about about Mm. World Cup 90. Um, And I was on Twitter one day. I contacted Mark Godfrey. I said, look, I've got an idea. Do you think I could have a chat with Simon Hart? just for some advice, blah, blah, blah. And he said, absolutely, put me in touch with him. And we had a chat, he's he's now based in Spain now. He, he writes technical pieces for, for UEFA for these days. Um, and we had a chat and told him my idea. He said, yep, sounds good, sounds really good, do this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he said, have you thought about speaking to any ex-players? I thought, no, absolutely, do you know, I don't know any ex-players, and I thought the chance to even get hold of any ex-players would be ridiculously tough. Um, but he said, Well, I know a few players, and, and that's kind of where, where it all started, really. So I wanted to speak to Spurs players. Um, I also wanted to touch a balance because Everton won the league that year, um, mm. Arsenal won the League Cup, which still kills me today, but we'll we'll cover that in a bit. Um, and obviously Coventry won the won the FA Cup. So I wanted to get things from their perspective as well, because these points are still quite memorable in those players history and also the fans' history as well. Um, so I wanted to try and give it, not just purely from a Spurs perspective, try to give a balanced viewpoint. And and that's why I had a bit of joy contacting other people like Keith Houchin and um, uh, Derek Mountfield. Um, who else did I speak to? Um, sadly, I spoke to Perry Graves as well. But let's not talk about that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I, I mean, looking at the, the book starts actually as a build-up to that season over quite a period of time and sets the picture. But of course we'd had the the fantastic Keith Birkinshaw period of two FA cups and a a UEFA cup. And yes, yes to the younger generation. There was three trophies in, in four years. There was a a cup final appearance against Liverpool where we were, where we were so close to winning the league cup as well, but for a a few minutes away. And then Keith, Keith had passed, uh, passed over to uh, Peter Shreve and actually, Peter Shreve's first season was actually, in my lifetime, the closest we've ever got to, to winning the league. Right. Forget the, the Poch title challenges. Tottenham had gone to Anfield, where we'd never won for 73 years and actually got our first ever win. And with 13 games of that season to go after that Liverpool game, we were joint-top with Everton. Everton still to come to Tottenham. And nine, nine of our 13 remaining games were to be played at White Hart Lane and yet yeah. we don't win the league. And then the no, following no. season, when you thought, well, that's that's a pretty good base for Peter Shreve to, to build from, we then really struggled. We ended up finishing 10th, and we failed to score in an astonishing 19 of our games that season. And yeah. so, you know, that, that's the scenario going into 86-87. To it
1: was, um, do you know, I think that the disappointment of Shreves' second season after his first season, which do you know the point the point you make there, Jace, do you know Everton came to Spurs and I think we lost was it two two one or or, two or one 0 mm-hmm. Two one. And um I mean yeah, I well, think his first play
0: save, isn't
1: it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's it's I mean it's probably one of the reasons why people still think he was he was arguably the best British goalkeeper. even maybe the, the best goalkeeper in the world kind of in the mid eighties. Um and I think that really crushed them. Um, and then the season after, as you said, it, it was ridiculously disappointing. Poor league campaign, awful in the Cups. Um, but they did finish the season well. Um, Clive Allen and Mark Falco scored quite a lot in those last few games of the season. I even think I think the penultimate game of the season, I think we beat Southampton 5-1 or something. I think Tony Galvin got a hat-trick, which, um, again, I don't think he can shout about too many hat-tricks that, that Galvin could get. So it, it finished a little bit okay, but I think the writing was on the wall for Treves, and, and I think Sculler had, had had some viewpoints about um he wanted to make some changes, which were then going to be in for the 86-87 season.
2: It's uh, Irving Sculler, as you said, a chairman at the time, um, wanted that new manager and he went after one Alex Ferguson. And yeah. I mean, I've, I've only I've only sort of seen this mentioned just a, a couple of times. It's, uh, I mean, talk about sliding doors moments, um, but he failed to lure him and um, he obviously brought in David Plate. So, uh, Stephen, how close did we come to actually getting Ferguson? And uh, when it wasn't Ferguson, what do you think it was that attracted um, a scholar to Plate? To, to bring him in.
1: Yeah, do you know um uh I read Scholar's book. Scholar released a book, I think it was like the late late nineties that was written by Mir Boza, Um and there was lots of stuff in there which um when I spent a bit of time with David Pleat he he kind of lamented some of the stuff that Scholar did put in there. Some of it was true and some of it he said was was absolutely false. But one of the things that he did put in there was the fact that he did have a verbal agreement with um with Alex Ferguson um and it was all kind of set to go and then ferguson kind of pulled out at the last minute he didn't he didn't go into to too much detail but essentially that put him back a bit um so i think at the time there, there was a bit of a um howard kendall was kind of set at everton i think dalgleish was was pretty set at liverpool having i think just won the, uh, the double um and uh, arsenal was also were looking for a manager as well and the, the names that were being mentioned were Venables, Pleat, and obviously George Graham. Um Venables was having a bit of a nightmare at, at Barcelona at that point. He'd he'd had a good opening couple of seasons there, and then things started to turn for him a bit. Um and then it got to the point where um Arsenal were apparently close to getting Terry Venables as well. So where Spurs could have potentially got Ferguson, Arsenal apparently could have could have got Venables, but we both ended up with George Graham at Arsenal who came from Millwall and we ended up with David Pleat. I think the reason we ended up with Pleat was because Luton were playing such good football then and he was one of the brightest young attacking English managers around at mm. the time. I mean, that team with Ricky Hill, Brian Steen, Mel Donaghy, Steve Foster, um, they, they they had a great team there um, and he, he was massively punching above his weight with with the resources he had and I think that, that was the thing. And then they had a meeting, kind of went really well, um, got the blessing from the Luton chairman and and it it was kind of done and dusted just before the, the Mexico World Cup. So within a couple of days, George Graham had then gone to Arsenal and uh, David Pleat had gone to Spurs. So everything was in place for the next season.
0: And, and hmm. you're right, Luton then, if you compared it to today, not necessarily the style of football, but... They, they were the Brighton of today, weren't they? As you said, the yeah. Ricky Hills, the Brian Steen, the Mark Steens, Foster. You know, they had a really good side, Luton, playing fantastic. They had yeah. about three or four in the England side at one stage. I think we played an in England International with with four Luton players on the pitch. And um, you, you're right, they were p- massively punching above their weights in those days. Yeah. But you're right, 1986, we, we take on Pleat, we go to a World Cup. Uh, Glenn Hoddle is obviously out there, Chris Waddle's out there, Gary Stevens is there. Gary Mabbot sadly missed out, probably for diabetic reasons, but that probably opened the door for for Gary Stevens. But David Pleat was due to go and, and cover for T V, but he had to argue his case, didn't he, for to be allowed to attend a World Cup because Scholar Scholar didn't want any of it at all.
1: Yes, I think Scholar's viewpoint was the fact that you've you've joined Spurs, now now get in there and work with the players um straight away and he's like well it's it's summertime that they're, they're off on a break now um so i can't really work with them plus he 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 sort of dangled the character said look i want to use this as a bit of a scouting expedition as well he he had a contractual agreement with itv so he was doing lots of co-commentating with like martin tyler and guys like that um but uh yeah so he had a contractual obligation to be there but it also allowed him to meet up with the spurs contingent too um I spent a bit of time with uh, Gary Stevens as well. Gary Stevens, as, as you guys probably both know, he now lives and works over the other side of the world, Southeast Asia. Um, and uh, he, he kind of loves it out there. But um, his recollection of the Mexico World Cup is is obviously fantastic because that was the, the peak of his international career. And he he was brought into the squad as a bit of a backup for Brian Robson um, because Robbo was still carrying a few injuries in the lead up to that, as he, as he classically did during the 80s, didn't he? Um, so um, Stevens was, was kind of brought into the to the team from from that perspective. What's quite weird, moving forward a few months after the World Cup and to the start of the season, Gary Mabbott then was a regular in the Indo- England squad, and he tended to take up like a central midfield position because when he first joined us, I think a lot of people forget he played in the middle of midfield, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, he scored lots of goals, and and that that was his that was his key role. So I think he was a bit unlucky to miss out. Clive Allen had come back from injury, so he probably wasn't in for a shout going into the World Cup. But um, as he said, you know, Waddle and Hoddle, they they were a fixture and fitting of that England team, weren't they? So they they were always going to be a shoe-in. Um, but no, I think Pleat said that point where he, he actually allowed himself to go and meet up with the Spurs boys there, and he actually had a conversation with Glenn Hoddle to to try to persuade him to stay for one more year to, to see how things would pan out and and it worked quite well for him. Well, because he, he did stay there, didn't he?
0: <laughs> and you, you talk in the book, just one special night, I think all of us will will remember from that time, just before the World Cup, where uh, we had Aussie's <laughs> testimonial at, uh, at White Hart Lane. And yeah. when I'm asked who's the greatest player I've ever seen in a Spurs shirt, I always give this answer. And it's not yeah. Glenn Oddle, it's Diego Maradona. What an yeah. amazing night to see Maradona in a Spurs shirt at White Hart Lane.
1: Do you know I I think there's a there's a few of us who, who can say that Hoddle is probably the greatest, but if there's one man who can trump him, it is it's possibly gonna be be that guy. Um yeah, I remember I, I remember it was kind of real kind of hazy evening. It was it was very mm. it, it was quite quite a weird atmosphere, not a bad atmosphere, but it was just quite a weird atmosphere. Um but as soon as I think our dealers and Maradona came out holding hands or something like that, or and stuff like that, and, and it was just electric from then on, but I Still to this day, seeing a midfield of Hoddle, Waddle, Ardilis and, and Maradona, oh man, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't wow. get better than that. <laughs> we, wow. We've had some great midfields, but that, that, was, that, that was really good. <laughs> I'm wondering how
2: much that's worth in today's uh, currency, if they were yeah, all wow. in, in their pomp. It's just, it is absolutely mind-boggling. Just as a little aside on that, did you, uh, I don't know if you, you spoke to Clive Allen and... Um, Maradona actually borrowed his boots for, for, yeah, for that yeah. night and yeah. um, he, he, took, he took Clive Allen's real old battered pair of boots rather than the new ones. And yeah. at the end of the game, gave them back to Clive Allen. And a few years later, Clive Allen's wife actually threw them out when she was oh. cleaning the loft out, when they were going to move. But he managed to get to the bins and retrieve them. So he still got the boots that Maradona wore that night. But, but yeah, Mrs. Allen, she took them out to the bin. What are these old boots in the loft? I'll throw these out. <laughs> and, and <you laughs>
0: Unbelievable. Know what? The, the thing I'll always remember from that night is, I think Maradona got to the ground at like five o'clock, no training session yeah. or anything like that, uh, meets the players. But him and Hoddle on the night, You talk about football brains.
2: Mm, The two of them
0: never played each other. They wouldn't even have to look at each other, but they could find each other on the pitch at total will without, without looking, just no look over the shoulder. He'll be there. He'll be there. I know he wants it at that pace. And these two on the night, unbelievable performance.
1: There there was an absolute connection with those. I think um, when I, when I was kind of doing some research for the book, I actually found out that Maradona had played for Napoli on the Sunday I think it was like their third or pen, maybe penultimate game of the season. He played for the Napoli on the Sunday. He played for Argentina, I think, against Norway on the Wednesday, and then the next day he then comes to London to to play for for Ozzy in his testimonial. So um, two games. A World he World Cup. Full ninety minutes. Yes, yes. Before just before a World, World Cup. Cup as well. And it, and, and it was it was unbelievable. Um, I spoke to um, Vinnie Samways because um, he was one of the youngsters coming through at the time, and also Danny Thomas. And on their, their recollection of that evening is 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 kind of electric um again content is, is in the book that defines how they they view that um but um still to this day it's, it's a surreal moment that sticks with them probably for the rest of their their lives because um again he was Diego Maradona absolutely fantastic brilliant
2: brilliant uh, stephen uh, looking back to that summer uh what was the footballing landscape um for that upcoming season, the expected challenges for the league, um, the big summer transfers and expectations for Spurs. So just a little flavour of where everybody was and who was coming in and the buzz players around the league at the time.
1: I think um, uh, Liverpool was still probably odds on favourite to be champions. Um, Everton had just lost the double to them. <laughs> um the season before so they they were they were desperate for a revenge um obviously the north london boys spurs and arsenal they 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 had to try to do something to 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 break the monopoly that liverpool and everton had had it in the league um probably since uh, did villa win it in was it 80? 80 81 um so since then um uh, it had been the the liverpool and, and the everton show so spurs and arsenal had had to do something um again bear in mind this was during the period when um um Spurs uh, Engl- English teams were banned from European competition. Um so the reality was was that there started to be a bit of an exodus of players. And um, probably the biggest transfer of the summer was was league top scorer Garolinica then going over to Barcelona. Again, he'd had a fantastic World Cup, but he then went over to Barcelona um because um he was he was the golden boot. So you probably Mark I think Mark Hughes also had an agreement. Um he, I think he had toddled off as broad as well. Um there was also I probably would go through this later, there was also a bit of a connection with Mark Hughes potentially coming back the season after. And David Pleet tells me that there was an opportunity that he could have gone to Spurs, but that's maybe for another time guys. Um mm. there's always those those nearly transfers aren't there. Um so yeah it was it was the Merseyside, they they were the kings they were the ones that we had to try to break that cycle with um so they were probably the bigger move and shakers that year but um another team to watch out this season as well was was norwich Nor- norwich where they had an outstanding season this mm. year and i don't think anyone had expected it at all but i think one of the catalysts for it was that we had sold ian cook to them in the summer and ian crook for anyone who knows their spurs he was an a, an unbelievably good central midfielder but he just couldn't get in because of our dealers, because of Hoddle, because of Mickey Hazard, mm. um, and, he, and he struggled to to get down anything in the middle of midfield. So he then he then had to leave. But he was a loss, but Norwich is gain absolutely.
2: Oh, he was a, he was a fine player. He really, really was a fine player. A little bit in that Mickey Hazard always struggled a bit because of Glen being in front of him, wasn't he? You know, yet another, yeah, another. Great player, but yeah, Cook really was. He was a fine player uh, for Spurs and went on to do some great stuff at Norwich.
1: I mean, at, at the time, Spurs' youth team, which went on to win the the, the reserve league that year, Vinny Samways was coming through. John Moncur was was coming through. Um, so we had some real classy, quality middle of midfielders, uh, middle of the park midfielders coming through. But they they just couldn't kind of break that that dominance that that Glenn and even Paul Allen. Ozier um, dealers, so it, it was it was hard for the youngsters coming through, but still quality. But that's what they had there.
0: One of David Pleat's first concerns when he took over was was looking at the the highly successful partnership that we'd had with uh, with Maxi Miller and Graham Roberts, and and having to solve that problem. Two two wonderful stalwarts for the club, but but two hard men as well.
1: Mm. Yeah, it was. Um, Again, I've kind of put it into the book. Um, Bill Nicholson comes up a, f- a few times. Um, I caught up with Steve Perryman and and I I, got, I probably know that you guys have probably maybe spent time with Steve Perryman over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Um he is still Mr. Tottenham. Um he still he still holds a, a bit of a nice healthy lament for Irving Scholar, but again, that's that's maybe another story for another time. <laughs> um but um you know from from his viewpoint as as well is that Bill Nicholson was 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 the don was that was was kind of the guru the, the god at tottenham um and pleat tells me that um nicholson was was pretty pretty cute pretty um still massively aware of the good the bad and the indifferent of things that are going on at tottenham and they kind of questioned um maybe the negative side of miller and robert's partnership with the fact that they were hard and we did give give away a lot of free kicks and Maybe he, he he encouraged Pleat to to think differently. I'm being very diplomatic with my words here, guys, but I think you can guess where I was going.
0: <laughs> um, you know, that summer, Mitchell Thomas was was the biggest summer signing. As such, he followed on with uh, from Luton with David Pleet, and he'd go yeah. on to actually have a fantastic season. Mm, but Pleat yeah. was was definitely with that eye on looking at the central defensive partnership. Yes, was yeah. was really keen on bringing Terry Butcher in from Ipswich but we That's eventually right. brought in Richard Goff who would actually go on to have a, a massive impact on the side and and ended up yeah. the season taking on the captaincy
1: absolutely um i mean Goff, Goff, Goff was the one Goff was even today that guy is still revered you know he had one season at spurs and he's still revered today as one of the best center backs we've ever had um i think the partnership and the connection he had with Gary Mabbott was 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 pretty sublime um but, yeah, Spurs were ridiculously close to getting Butcher. And um, the, the two people that were potentially going to go to Spurs was either going to be Butcher or, or Goff. Um, Butcher couldn't hang around because they were kind of dithering it, and he went up and joined Graham Sooners at Rangers. But, again, I, I popped it in the book. So, so
0: the chairman was dithering over a transfer? Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. It's amazing you know these what? things
0: that, that come around, <laughs> isn't it?
1: <hey? laughs> I tell you what, Dan, I reckon Daniel Levy went to Daniel Levy studied at the Irving Scholar School of Excellence, I'm sure he did.
2: <laughs> Stop me if you've heard this one before, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Blimey. Exactly, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it, it, it was it was kind of it was kind of unsurprising. And the weird thing in, in Scholar's book as well, he talks about a few signings that Spurs could have made, um, <laughs> which which David Pleat refutes. Um and it was quite weird. So when I did speak to Pleat, I said to him, why have you never read this book? This book's been out for twenty years. Why have you never read it? It's like, well, I don't know actually. I think I think it's about time that I did read it. Um so uh yeah, th- there was some some kind of trials and tribulations in there that I think David did refute, but um Irving's put it on paper, isn't he? So I, I, who's who's telling the truth? I don't know.
2: <laughs> I can see. Yeah. I don't know yeah, exactly. Exactly, um, Stephen. At the time, uh, crowds in general were still really quite poor. Football just wasn't uh sexy as it is today. I, I suppose yeah. you could say, or the rock and roll that it is uh, today. Um, just over sixteen thousand saw our game <laughs> against Leicester, um, yep. averaging just under twenty six thousand. Uh, coming to coming to see us on, on average, as I said, Um Chelsea averaging seventeen and a half thousand. There's seventeen and a half thousand. There was weeds growing through the terraces there, and they had less. Uh, I mean, less average attendance than West Ham, Forest Villa, Sheffield Wednesday, Norwich. There was seven clubs that averaged. Yeah under 15,000 at football at the time. I mean, yeah. this is top-flight football. It's, I mean, there's 15,000 corporates now at most games, let alone Absolutely. fans as, as well. It's, It was just such a different landscape, wasn't it?
1: I, th- I think large portions of football were, were massively in the mud. Um, I think, it, I mean, the European ban didn't help. But it massively didn't help. Um, and I, I think the reality was going to games... Um, was not a nice experience for lots of people um women and children you, you very rarely saw any women and and even lots of kids didn't didn't tend to go um yeah. because of the the problems kind of sometimes inside the stadium and, and outside of the stadium uh g- going to certain grounds even going to away games was always even worse um it, it was it was <laughs> it was running the gauntlet time and time again and i think we've all got stories of over the years of of kind of having near misses and sometimes when you cannot avoid um getting involved and stuff like that so um so it, it was a grim time but I think during that period during just after the Mexico World Cup which which because England did so well there it it reinvigorated the 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 the, the life of of English football um mm. and then that between that and the 1990 it was gradually English teams and English, the national team were on trial um and and it kind of that between eighty 86 87 and 1990 um that's when things gradually started to change where the i think you saw the the attendances gradually starting to get up because i think commercially i mean irving scholar despite what we can sometimes say about him commercially he started to look at di- things differently the the evolution and the first elements of the Premier League were being discussed by Irving scholar and and a a batch of chairman within division one at the time. So that evolution was starting in, in the in like the mid late eighties and then into the nineties. And and then again, the Premier League came along and and literally changed the ball game. But um, just that, that pre-season just before we sort of get into the season, Spurs went down to the new camp for a, um, a 14 tournament and we played PSV, and um, we drew with them and then we lost on penalties and then we beat AC Milan. I um, mean in the other games, uh Barcelona were playing the other the other teams as well and obviously Venables was was managing Barca. Um I mean even at the time they they were getting 98 to 100,000 every even for friendlies. Wow. Even for friendlies, that that was the difference. And so I think scholar and lots of British chairmen were thinking, wow, what, what do we need to do differently? So that they started to try and change things because, as you said, the crowds were, were pretty pitiful. Um, and you're right, Crackers, Chelsea back then, it's not Chelsea now. Going to Stamford Bridge was, oh, it was horrific. What an awful place. <laughs> it still, still is. <laughs> it, it still is for, for, for other reasons.
2: Hi everyone, Crackers here with your legend events update. Friday, November the 10th, Steve Perriman and Keith Birkinshaw in Bedwars, South Wales. Friday, November the 17th in Worcester, Paul Walsh and Paul Stewart. Friday, the 24th of November in Dublin, Steve Perriman. Echo61.co.uk in Surrey have, on Thursday, December the 7th, Razor Ruddock, Friday, December the 8th, Harry Redknapp. Close Encounter.events on December the 13th of Naeem at Liverpool Street in Central London. And finally, in Dartford, December the 14th, the one and only Harry Redknapp. Please come and see me at Mr. Cracknell across the socials if you require any further details, and I can put you in touch with the event organisers. Come on, new Spurs. Sticking with Scholar, I mean, sort of history recalls him as somebody that very nearly took the, the club to the brink with some of those deals. But looking now, there's almost a mad genius to it as well. As you said, um, the deal with Hummel. Uh, that he'd done was uh, broke broke a million pounds, and then along come uh, club call phone line, which was literally right. like the the Twitter or X of of the day, wasn't it? You actually had to phone up and spend your harder money, and there was there was a lot of parents that got some big big phone bills <laughs> where their kids, because there was no blocking calls or anything back it back in the day you, to get the, the late, latest news. Yes. Oh
1: man, I, I can. Yeah. I, can I can see the banner. That's absolutely, yeah. I, was...
2: <laughs> I still remember it today. And then the they is... had the big banners on the front of one when they launched it on the front of the program,
1: didn't they? And
2: they had, I yeah. think they had sort of like a mascot telephone on the pitch with Gary Mabber, and oh, it yeah. was crazy, absolutely crazy. They, they
1: they they had a kind of a new executive team bus that was launched that season as well. And David Pleat was telling me that number and all that stuff was emblazoned on the bus. And the the um, the FA Cup quarterfinal down at um, Wimbledon, which was kind of the following spring, I think they'd had a training camp at Bognor just before. And it, 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 the, the bus got trashed, unsurprisingly, because it had kind of spurs and everything written all over it. So, yeah, not the wisest of moves, but it was still a commercial move, wasn't it?
0: <laughs> and of course, in those days, no transfer windows at all, so you could just buy buy as you please as you, as you wanted right of the way up to pretty much towards. I think the the last window would come down in towards the end of April, wouldn't it? Just to stop That's the right, last yeah. few games. But not long into that that season, we lost another real legend and stalwart and a person that served the club brilliantly in in Mark Falco and uh, Nico Klassen. The speedster had arrived. He'd impressed in that World Cup, but. He had a, an impact on the season, but probably never quite reached the levels that that we were. A, a Steven bergvine perhaps, is a is, yeah. a is a close equivalent in in the you know the the goal against City on his debut and Leicester, but not a lot else.
1: No, I think um, I think the yeah, I mean Falco leaving the club was I, I think it was due to the evolution of of how the team were then going to play. The changing tactics dictated that there was going to be one guy up front. Um Falco wasn't going to get a game. Um, let's be honest. And and as you said, I think Pleat had um I think his trip to, to Mexico and he seemed I think Belgium had got to the World Cup semi-final yeah. and Klassen was a key was a key part of that. Klassen was quick. I mean he he was he was rapid, um, but he struggled to even get into the to the team because um he he struggled to get out wide because Waddle was there, and he struggled to get up front because Clive Allen was there. So um it wasn't necessarily his fault. I think the fact that two other players were playing so much better that um it was a situation of circumstance rather than him disappointing but um yeah maybe maybe a touch of burguine about him. I think that the reality was is that during during those opening months pleat was still trying to find his feet. Um he still had maybe a couple of players that he wanted to move on. Um I mean you talk about Robert's and Miller. Um they were they were a couple of guys that I mean, when the Mabbot and Goff dynamic kicked into gear, um, then th- there was there was little hope for them as well. Weirdly, I mean, Robert started in central midfield that that's a, that summer, that preseason, into that, and that was his position. Um, so he he held that down and he played really well. I think probably second or third game of the season, we I think we beat City at home, and it was he scored the only goal of the game, and I think it was, I think it was mm. a thirty yard absolute cracker but um roberts me. roberts was actually playing really really well falco it had a few games he wasn't playing that well but roberts was playing really really well but yeah change changes were going to come with pleat, wasn't it it certainly was that season
2: Stephen. the um the reoccurring uh curse of the old player coming back to haunt us wasn't there um mickey hazard <coughs> Kerry dixon uh Falco, of course, had just gone. Ian Crook, David Leeworthy, Neil McNabb all scored against <laughs> us that, that season. And again, you get the you get the kids of today going, Oh, he's not scored for ages, or he was with us, yeah. you know he's gonna score. Absolutely.
1: That season was horrific for it, wasn't it? That's that's why we're still conditioned now to feel that ex players are always gonna <laughs> score against us because <laughs> it happens so much. I mean, the the Mickey Hazard thing. Um, do you know when when he came back? I mean, we we lost at home to, to Chelsea that year, mm. and do you know? I don't I don't know why. Even though Arsenal are our rivals, I've, I've I've always had more of a healthier hatred to, to Chelsea more than Arsenal for some reason, no. and I don't know I don't know why I don't know why. But um, anyway, they're they're both just as bad as each other. But um, I mean, Hazard was on fire that day. He scored two goals, um, and you're right, Kerry Dixon scored as well. And I think a lot of people forget that. Kerry Dixon was, was in the Spurs youth, wasn't he? Mm. Um, b- before yeah. we kind of moved him on. So, yeah, another expert coming to, to bite our backsides. Happened a lot.
2: <laughs> it, oh, didn't it just? Didn't it just? There was a lot of players just putting their hands up, not celebrating. Or okay, Can you remember, Jason, any of them actually celebrating when they when they scored? I know Falco didn't. Oh. And I know I'm pretty sure Mickey Hazard, in the post-match interview, Got in trouble with a, with a lot of Chelsea fans because he he felt like he he said it didn't feel right scoring against Tottenham and he got quite a backlash for that. But um, yeah, yes, there, I, was, remember,
0: mate, I think there wasn't so much the focus on it that there is now on on no. social media. But but the flip side of that was of course Clive scored against Arsenal about three or four times that season. <laughs> Paul Allen <laughs> scored against West Ham. Hodgie got a couple at Aston Villa against Villa and things. So we certainly had the we we were certainly Chrissy Waddle. I think maybe not that year, but scored goals against Newcastle and things like that. So it wasn't all wasn't all one way.
2: Exactly. Because everyone
0: forgets, Clive Clive was signed by Arsenal, wasn't he? Just never played played a competitive game for them.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I think we got the best out of him more than anyone else, didn't we?
2: Yeah. certainly did. Yeah. Uh talk talking of which uh, an opening day uh, winner Villa um hat trick for Clive Allen um which was a sign of things to come for him an astonishing <laughs> it really was 49 goals that season. Um so he won the double PFA and Football Writers uh, player of the season for that. Um in only four of the first 17 games there was a goal scorer who wasn't Clive. It was an absolutely yeah. unbelievable season. And if I remember rightly, very little of it was captured on film as well because there was, I think there was some some kind of strike for in broadcasting at the time as well, industrial yeah. action.
1: I, I, I think there was. Um, so, uh, again, l- luckily, one of the people I, I was fortunate enough to speak to during this was, um, was John Motson. Um and I managed to speak to to John probably about three months before he died. Um I I, I was couldn't believe I, I'd got hold of him. Um and Motson speaks about um I mean his memory, even back then, this was this was kind of towards the end of 2022, start of 2023's, um his memory of those games, of any televised games with Tottenham, is, is unbelievable. Do you know he his he was like a in a footballing encyclopedia? But you're right, the match of the days were, were minimal. The live games were ridiculously minimal. Um, and I think maybe the, the point that you said earlier, Jason, about maybe things being more memorable back, back then is because we had very few televisual memories right. to to buy. Nowadays, it's everywhere. You watch mm. a goal, you've seen it 500 times before your team yeah. plays again. Um, and you see all the near misses and you see all the... Um, all, all the challenges and everything like that time and time again. So the the, the world was, was completely different, which, again, that was also part of the, the evolution of, of football in the in the late 80s. They had to start televising it more. And I think from 87, 88, 89, it gradually started to ramp up a little bit more.
0: A uh, uh, one goal that I think summed up that Clive that season for me was, because uh, he never used to blast balls into the net, did he, Clive? Everything was just passed in. There was no... No, like thirty-yard rockets, but he scored a goal against Everton. I think he scored both that day. Won a yeah. near post header, gets across his man at the near post, and he was so quick that season uh, in the box. Yeah. Not necessarily quick outside it, but his pace over two or three yards to Absolutely. to get in front of his man was was ridiculous that season. But he scored a just, goal. took about route one, a, a goal kick from from Ray Clements, and he just let it as, he, as he's going towards the Paxton. It's just dropped over his shoulder. And then he's guided a half—not yeah. not lashed at it, but just guided a half volley first time straight into the bottom corner. And and if there's one goal that that season that I can remember Clive yeah. scoring, that's it. It
1: was just just laser precision into the corner. Do you know, um, Everton went on to win the league that year, um, and we—I think it was kind of just just before autumn kicked in, and we beat them two nil. Um, we we were brilliant that day, and you're right, Clive, Clive got a brace, um, and yet Clem did. Um, did give him the assist on that one, but yet, route one, don't bounce. I think when we played football as kids, we were always taught don't let the ball bounce. Um, but they they stupidly let it bounce and and it, and he, he volleyed it kind of past um, um, a guy called Bobby Mims. Bobby Mims, <laughs> do you remember Bobby Mims? <laughs> <laughs> Bo- so, thank boob- God, never was not there that day. Yeah, it was, I mean, it, he was having a brilliant start to the season. Um, and Spurs was just starting to get a, just a touch of form there, a touch of inconsistency, but we were we were beating one of the the favourites for the league, it was either Liverpool, yeah. or Everton, two 0 there. So yeah, it was a great start for us.
2: Just to finish up on uh, Clive, the, the Allen family. I've, I've done a night with him a while ago now, and I think we counted up to eleven. Eleven of the Allen family that have played football or been involved in football at a pro- like professional standard. It is it is a crazy, I don't think yeah. it's a crazy family. I don't think yeah. there's another family in world football with that many people and that much heritage that runs through football,
1: 11 members of the family.
2: It's nuts. No. Absolutely nuts.
1: I mean, if, I think around that time, I think Spurs went to QPR and yeah, Paul Allen was Spurs, Clive Allen was Spurs and, and martin allen was it was a qpr as well um mm. mad dog they called him didn't they I yeah. See, yeah yeah um <laughs> so yeah i mean and, and obviously les was kind of tottenham royalty really isn't he so um yeah yeah do you know clive is again clive's got an unbelievable recollection of that year as well and enough, my catch up with clive was was just like on a zoom call um going back to your your point about maradona's boots um he showed me maradona's boots because they were kind of still wow. in the box so um Oh, one more thing as well. I, I've spoken to... No, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you that later. I had a really good conversation with John Sheridan, but I'll tell you that one later. That'll keep him listening. <laughs> um, so, uh, the visit of Luton
2: to uh, White Hart Lane, uh, and then there was the coverage of uh, Luton coming and pleton now being our manager, going up against his uh, old uh, old side. Um but there was a real uh, diplomatic incident uh, a brouhaha, if you like after pleat's um program comments uh, which which almost a kid if you if it's akin today i suppose it would be like a tweet that might yeah. might be sort of trashing them a bit but it really it caused quite a bit of a stir didn't it his comments uh, that day in in the program
1: yeah i mean pleat used to write all of his notes and um, I think he, he was quite proud of the fact that he did pen all of his kind of uh, manager notes before, before the games. Um, he had left uh, the Luton chairman, wasn't happy with him going, despite he'd done superb stuff for them and he'd taken them well above wherever they, they had even been before. Um, he still wasn't happy with them going and um, he wasn't shy in talking about it with the media. So it kind of created this drama, this soap opera before the, the game had even started but, yeah, um, in his notes, this is the value of a comma. Um, I think he referred to the him as a hooligan chairman. But it was, <laughs> he was meant to finish the, the, that part of the sentence with a comma and then chairman after that. But it came out as, like, referring to him as hooligan chairman. So, yeah, it, it went down like a sack of shit, really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then much later in the season,
2: um, given all the furore from that, some there were some real ugly scenes when we went yeah. to Luton away, wasn't there? I mean, yeah. you know, as we touched on earlier, there was still some big, big problems at away games for, uh, you know, for away fans and that. So yeah. there, there was there was big problems late that season, wasn't there?
1: I think I mean, even in even in the home game, um, I I couldn't remember this, but I read a few um, match reports when I went down. I'd gone down to the British Library and, and spent hours going through loads of old match reports and stuff like that. Um, and they were talking about Monkey Chance being directed at Mitchell Thomas during the game um, and then the flip side of the game at Kenilworth Road that I think the following spring and um, it was all the anti-semitic stuff because David Pleat um, and obviously Irving Scholar they are of Jewish heritage and and it was kind of pretty obscene so much so that the directors kind of staged a bit of a walkout because it was just not reflected um, or even apologise from the from the Luton board at the time. So, um, but you uh, know, crackers as he said, football was it, it wasn't uncommon back then. No. This was 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 ridiculously common. Just like um, John Barnes, I think he, when he went to Everton, like I'm sure it was Everton. Sorry, Everton fans throwing bananas at him on, on the pitch and stuff like mm. that. These things were, were quite common in, in football. Thanks um, so, the low
0: gates as well.
1: Ab- yes. absolutely yeah that's why mm. it was it was a pretty toxic place to 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 go to even try to enjoy football and and if and if it wasn't if it wasn't stamped out by the hierarchy of each clubs um which i think irving scholar took um took umbrage with at, at the kenilworth road game um you thought what what's the hope of football um so maybe comes back to the viewpoint of Hulig and chairman maybe it's too far off
0: yeah. Perhaps the comma, Literally. perhaps the missing yeah. comma wasn't a missing comma after all. <laughs>
1: exactly, yeah. <laughs> subtle work, Mister Bleat. Subtle work. <laughs>
0: and, and we 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 went and repeated our success of Anfield of a couple of years before that, where Clive yet again got the winner, one nil win at Anfield, and we were right on the on the cusp of of here we go, we're in a title challenge here. But then, typical Spurs fall three or four home games, don't get the points, and. The old traditional inconsistent, the Spursy tag is there even in those days.
1: Mm. Yeah. I mean, the the, the, the win at Anfield, again, it was a 1-0 Clive Allen. Um, Chris Waddle was on fire that day. Do you know, Chris Waddle, this was his second season and his first season was a touch disappointing. Mm. I think he was due to, he was struggling to settle in. So we were kind of given that one because Waddle was a class player. And I don't think anyone had seen the quality that Waddle had had until that season really kicked in. Um, but that's when he really started to, to, to play well. And so he had he had a touch of inconsistency, but that day at Anfield, what what Waddle was the man. Waddle and, and even Tony Galvin, I think I remember that they both dominated those those two fullbacks that day. Um and it and it was an absolute justified one 0 win. But yet after that, inconsistency hits. As you said earlier, crackers, Spursy isn't just a new thing. No, was, no, he's exactly. so prevalent back
2: in the day. I went to Anfield for that game and you're right. Uh, Chrissy Waddle and Tony Galvin that day were yeah. absolutely sensational. I think yeah. I think Galvin just burnt a little bit from that League Cup final where he got kicked out of it. Um yeah. so I think Liverpool always held a special place in his affections. Uh, to be, as you say, yeah. diplomatic. And uh, whenever he come up them again, uh, again, up against them again, he always, always put in a, a real shift. And uh, no, yeah. we, we were sensational that day. I remember remember the day very well.
1: Do you know, Galvin, uh, I mean, again, I know we, we'll we we'll probably talk about Galvin later, but um, David Pleat loved him. David Pleat was, was an absolute fan of Tony Galvin. And I think Galvin had a couple of injuries, which kind of, Um, kept him in and out and then Spurs made a pretty significant signing on the left side um, towards the end just as the winter started to kick in which restricted his playing time as well but um, Galvin was well Tony Galvin's Tony Galvin we 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 know and we love him for so many other things and and he he had a lot of good games that season but yeah Anfield was one of his best ones
0: one of the games that season and we've tried to avoid talking too much about specific games, but one that will always stand out, I think anyone that saw it will, will remember that, was the home game with with Wimbledon. And you mm-hmm. talked about Gary Stevens earlier. I know Gary because I, I spent time living in Thailand and, and had a few dinners and such with, with Gary. And uh, he was on the end of a horrific challenge that day. And yeah. it was the most, I think, you know, probably the two games that stand out in my mind was the Barcelona Cup winners' Cup semi-final when they were people think of the Barcelona now they were absolute brutal in that semi-final yeah. weren't they? Anyone mm. that saw yeah. that semi-final, and this was as close to that. Uh, you know, people think about the Battle of the Bridge with Tottenham Chelsea. This was this was an evil game with Wimbledon. They really were shocking, weren't they?
1: I mean they 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 they, they could match Spurs for for quality. They they were never gonna they were never gonna match us in any way, shape, or form. They they just beat us up, yep. and, and the reality was was they targeted Graham Roberts all game. And do you know, in fairness to Robbo, he he bit his lip time and time and time again. But they were they were just relentless. But the challenge on Gary Stevens was, um, I, I, I remember reading. I found some articles after the game. it F- was still denying that he had anything to do with it, um, <laughs> which which was ridiculous. Um, and funnily enough, in, in one of the programs. Uh, a, few, a couple of days late a couple of games later i found an image of it of um um fashion oh, yeah. kind of elbowing that's right um and I, and I was talking to gary about that and i sent it to him and he, he he remembers the image was there um so yeah i don't know if i brought back good memories but i think he appreciated still seeing the image again but again a couple of years later he, he wimbledon did him again um uh on at, at whiteheart lane kind of in, in a right back area where Viddy jones did him um so yeah gary was when i spoke to him and he, he got a touch emotional about some of those bits because um he was playing so well at the time as well that that it was it was Stevenson thomas at fullbacks and then goff and mabbit in the middle and so it, it was a shame but yeah that was that, that was that was pretty much carnage that day the fashion they were called later on, not that mm-hmm. game, but a few years later, leaves horrendous scars on Gary Mabbott, doesn't he? Which, mm, which Gary still bears today. It's,
2: yeah. The, yeah.
1: The thing, the thing that annoys me about that is that that the, the guy constantly comes across as the victim. You saw, yeah. it, you know, he takes no ownership, no no accountability at all for anything he did. Which, you know, if someone does something and they they kind of own, fair enough. It may have happened in the heat of battle, whatever. Um, but the guy's just was just like living in a delusion. He didn't accept any level of responsibility at all. Which, you know, I think for me and, and any football fan, that's that's just not not going to happen, really, is it? No, sorry, keep going. So, sorry. so
2: he hasn't done the foreword for this book, then, Stephen, uh, <laughs> Mister Fashion, <laughs> you. I, yeah, yeah. I, I take it, but you're you're right. Yeah, he, he took he took no responsibility really, or no. he, he claimed with that that with Mabber a few seasons later that Gary was okay and accepted his apology. And uh, now they they were just an awful awful side. that they, they they really awesome. were. Um, but coming back to Spurs, balance of the side, don't know there was something just not quite right in there. I don't know. Whether we were just missing a certain type of player, or I don't know, there was something you couldn't quite put your finger on. Um, and then came the big monumental decision uh, to drop Glenn Hoddle away at uh, Norwich, and that that really did backfire on us, didn't it?
1: Yeah, it's. Um, I think they even uh, I think even the papers went to Bobby Robson at the time. Because again, Hodder would cemented his place in the England team, um, and they'd gone to Bobby Robson because it was a bit of an outrage. Um, I think I think Plate's reasons for dropping in were, were were kind of genuine. I don't think there was any any malicious intent about what he wanted to do, but um, he felt he felt that Glenn wasn't playing as as well as he could have done, and he felt it could have inspired him to to, to start to improve. But um, yeah, it backfired massively because Spurs uh, ended up losing the game as well. Um, Ian Crook <laughs> run the show, scored scored again. Um so yeah I I think I think Pleat then thought, do you know what? I've left out our best player, well our potential best player. We've lost. Where do I go from here? Um and that that's when things started to really change from a tactic perspective.
0: Yeah and of course the following week we went to Oxford and that's where this season I suppose flips from the start to to what then followed when we, we changed from the basic pretty much 442 to a 451 formation mm. with Glenn playing as the as a classical number 10 wasn't it
1: yeah this was the, i mean this this was the absolute change this was the point where do you know um I remember seeing an interview with Arsene Wenger a few years ago because Wenger sp- um, spent time with Hoddle at Monaco and and he he could not believe how Tottenham never built their uh, Tottenham in England never built everything around Glenn Hoddle. Tottenham did, but England never did. Um, and him going into that role, which what they did with him when he moved to France, was was an absolute revelation. The thing is, um, if you speak to Hoddle, if you read his stuff, or if you look at any interviews, he still feels the first time he played that role was when he when he went to Monaco. But I mm. think the reality was, he, he started to do it then. Playing mm. in that, it was a bit of a, a platity role, where you, you kind of... You know, there was no defensive responsibilities. All he was doing was feeding Clive Allen and and supporting the, the the attack because that's where he was he was kind of using. and that Oxford game the four five one was was where it really kicked in. Um, we had a, a fantastic live game at uh, Old uh,
2: Trafford. Um, the diving header from uh, from Mabber. Uh, before I get the rest of the, the, the question, I have to come to that first, uh, Stephen. That diving header oh, in that game oh, oh, oh. From, from Gary Mabber was an absolute belter, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Do you know I think? Maybe a week before, something like that, I'm sure he'd scored for England as well. I think England mm. beat Yugoslavia 2-0 or 3-0, and I think he scored like a towering he got, header. got one,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: Hod, yeah hoddle corner, Mabber header. Old Trafford, <laughs> Hoddle corner, Mabbot header. Um, do you know what? That, that Old Trafford game... Um, and i know you mentioned it earlier jason it was it was televised so it was the first major televised game that year um and and it was an absolute cracker that that i mean i know lots of players and, and supporters talk about the oxford game being the pivotal thing for the 4-5-1 i actually think that was more of the pivotal game because what actually happened was spurs were 2-0 down at half time and we were not playing really well at all <clears throat> um, what he did paul allen was playing at right back Um, and Ozzy Ardiles was in the middle. What he then did, he took off um, Ozzy Ardiles, he brought on Danny Thomas a right-back, and he put Paul Allen in the middle of midfield. And for me, I think that Mm. was the catalyst for the season. The 4-5-1 was massive, but putting Paul Allen into the middle of midfield, that guy just went on an absolute rampage for the rest of the season. He was absolutely immense. And I think that switch in that second half at Old Trafford um we were 2-0 down we then went 3-2 ahead um and i mean paul allen was was kind of pivotal um for the, for that move to, to to start to change so i think that was just as pivotal as the as the oxford game if that mm-hmm. makes sense uh, we went on to uh win
2: at chelsea just after that um but transfer speculation was now rife and uh we saw Graham roberts leave um uh, again, that was really under a cloud, and really with a, with a lot of bitterness involved in that as well. Um, we had a mid season break, and then found out from now that it would actually be Glenn's last season with the club as well.
1: That's right. It was um, Spurs had actually gone to Bermuda for a a, a friendly in December. I mean, <laughs> how often would you fly to the Caribbean? <laughs> Between, I think it was after the, I think it was at home to Watford. I think we beat Watford at home, and then the next weekend we were playing Chelsea. And uh, Spurs take their their guys out to Bermuda um, for three or four <laughs> days of of golf. They, they did play a game. They they did play a game. Um, and yeah, that that was the time. I think Hoddle had spoken to a reporter and said that, yeah, I I, I am looking to move. Um and i think france was the chosen was always going to be the chosen destination i think there were a couple of german clubs in for him as well um but yeah then when they came back from that i think that's when things started to to kind of hit home for for Graham roberts when he realized that he wasn't gonna be back at the club and i think just before the chelsea game i think they they kind of shipped him out and sent him up to glasgow um mm. so yeah it wasn't wasn't the most um Glorious of departures for for someone who was served the club so well, but um, yeah, it was was a bit disappointing. And there was
0: that that dismissive thing, wasn't there? He's he's kicked a few down here. So now he can kick a few up there, which rather, rather takes away a hell of a lot of Graham Roberts achievements. Whatever people think of Graham Roberts now, I mean, certainly crackers and that will, will say he was a massive part of our early 80s success, captain of a UEFA cup side. And, he was a tough tough cookie wasn't he robbo yeah.
1: i did um i did ask pleat about that comment um he he does regret that comment um yeah. but again it's, it's it's hindsight the fact that i, I think pleat and pleat and roberts never met uh never kind of saw things eye to eye and that was one thing and i've heard um robo on some podcasts and interviews and stuff like that um and and in he has a healthy lament for, for pleat, um, mm. which is kind of understandable. But um, yeah, cannot forget what, what he did for Spurs because he was he was fantastic. Weirdly, in that game, that that old Trafford, which um where Spurs were were kind of losing, um, and I've heard Graham Bob say this on the podcast, apparently Clem got him by the scruff of the neck and said, Mate, pull yourself around. Do you know, if you're gonna leave this club, because it was very likely he was gonna leave. Um, pull yourself around, you know. Do yourself justice. And apparently, Rob had an absolute storm in that second half against uh, against United at Old Trafford. So, um, mm. yeah, he kind of went out with a bit of a bang.
2: Phoenix 51 is a powerful employee technology enabling organisations to make data-driven decisions at every stage of the employee
0: journey, from hiring through benchmarking and development. too. the platform provides detailed analytics on the most important asset in your business, your people enabling organizations not only to make the correct hiring decisions, but also how to benchmark, train, and retain them. Phoenix 51, powering your people decisions through every part of the employee journey. Hello, this is Russ Williams from The Last Word on Spurs. And I just wanted to tell you about my brand new book, Sad But True. 100 sad but true stories from around the world, like Chinese marathon runner 50-year-old Uncle Chen who competed in a local marathon race and chain-smoked cigarettes the entire way round. He finished the race in a very respectable 3 hours and 28 minutes. And from South Wales, the story of Leon Gleed, who burned his bum when he used Tesco toilet cleaning wipes instead of normal toilet paper. No permanent damage was
2: done. Sad but true. Don't go to the loo without it. Out now on Amazon Kendall. Stephen, wouldn't it be lovely if our away form of that season uh, could be replicated this season and the season after and the season after that? We had away wins at Anfield, at Stamford Bridge, uh, draws in the North London Derby, and both Manchester's. I mean, that was yeah. that that. I think today Unbeaten that um oh, I'm, I'm beaten with, with them. That's that's title winning form today, isn't it?
0: If you think it we is. won at Villa, if you think of it today, yeah. we won at Villa, and I think do we draw at Newcastle that season? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I think we did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> form
0: this year, wouldn't
1: it? I, I think um, when when I when I did speak to Clive Allen, he hails that Chelsea away win as the best away performance of the season. Um, I think, JC might want to talk about maybe one or two other games where he probably houses the best performance of the season, but the best away performance was was the one just after Bermuda. Oh, by the way, they hadn't done any training or anything like that at all. No. And they turned up to Stamford Bridge and absolutely nailed them. So, Unbelievable. <laughs> good good prep. <laughs>
0: and, then, and then that 4-5-1 then saw the arrival just before Boxing Day of uh, Stevie Hodge from Aston Villa and... He really that that really did complete that that famous five in midfield yeah. because Hodgie went on to have a fantastic season for us, and then Boxing Day, we saw the first of two visits in a short space of time of West Ham because we played them in a cup tie, and we absolutely battered them. Talk about getting battered everywhere they go. We beat them four yeah. 0 on a Boxing Day, and I think they came back for a cup tie a few weeks later. We put five past them, and yeah. and Clive Paul. Uh, Hodge, was in fantastic form. Nico Klessen was in brilliant form yeah. in one of those games as well. They were yeah. just two wonderful performances, weren't they?
1: I mean, I, I, I don't know if you remember this one, Jason. It, it was a sunny boxing day, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, Hodge made his debut. I mean, Spurs ripped him to, to absolute pieces. Um, that balance on the left side, Hodge on the left and Waddle on the right. The fact that you had our dealers, Paul Allen in the middle and then Hoddle just in front. I mean... Clive Allen must have been like, "Oh my days! No wonder I'm scoring so many bloody goals." <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it turned out. I mean, those 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 two games. Um, uh, I mean, I think nine 0 I think we. I think there was a five. got I think one in was the replay, and it was at five one. The replay,
0: so it yeah, might have been five yeah. nil.
1: Um, wow. So I think I think that the reality was when they came to Whitehall Lane that season. Yeah, West Ham had a torrid time.
2: Yeah, all good to see. One of the big, big stories that went against us of that season uh, was the League Cup semi-finals. Um, just it, it was, it was nuts, wasn't it? Um, Clive Allen, forty-nine goals scored in those three games against Arsenal, um, and they 2-1 wins they got against us, and that was it. Was literally in a matter of Was it about five or six weeks? I think not even. Might have even been within a month, just over a month. Three, two, one wins, and so some of those we absolutely chucked away, didn't we?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, This is where I want to stop all this. I wish it never (laughs) happened. Can we stop now and and not talk about these? Do you you
2: know know, when I speak to Clive on stage at night? I. You know, he, he's, his eye actually twitches a little bit like Herbert yeah. Lom in, in the Pink yeah. Panther movies, you know, it just still
1: cuts deep. This this was the one where you speak to any players with what happens at the end of the season, like with in the FA Cup final, which was disappointing enough. This one I think still hits them harder. Mm. Um because we, we, we shouldn't have lost. We 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 should have played them in the, played the league first. Didn't we? I mean, yeah.
0: Why there's three games is because we played them in the league. I think January the fifth, something like that, at White Hart That's Lane. Right. Lost to them two one. Yeah. Then we've gone to gone to Highbury. Won the first leg of the semi final one nil. We go one nil up in the second leg with Clive, and then it then it goes wrong. That finishes two one to Arsenal. So they it goes to a replay. 'Cause no no extra time or penalty or no, no penalty shootouts, obviously, which you get today. So it began to a replay. We go one nil up in the replay with Clive again, and we're one nil up with about eighty-eight minutes gone, aren't we? And mm. and suddenly we lose it, and I think the last kick of the game, and over three yeah. games, the only time we're behind is in something like the three hundred and fifty-eighth minute.
1: I mean, ridiculous. Right. <laughs> I think it was um um, we Horrible. When it went to when it went to the to the replay, um they, they had to just toss a coin because they were like, Where's it gonna be played? Uh, Highbury or, or Tottenham and and Richard Goff said to me that um he tossed the coin and he won and he said we'll play it here. And apparently he went back to the dressing room and and Hoddle said to him, Mate, what are you doing? We we should have gone to Highbury. We we would have probably done them at Highbury. I think Spurs were more confident at Highbury that season than they than they were at White Hart Lane, which is which is quite weird, but Um, Yeah, you're right. It was the last couple of minutes of the third game. And that was the only time when they were ahead. I I spoke to Ian Allenson, who was one of the guys who scored that day. Um, They were horrid goals as
0: well, weren't they? They they were awful
1: goals. Horrible goals. Do do you know what? Um, Ian Allenson's a lovely guy. I I, I hate to say it. Um, He's he's, he's a really nice guy. But that was was the highlight of his career. He's (laughs) never done anything at Arsenal anything is nothing has eclipsed that he didn't even play in the final they I didn't even get into the into he wasn't even on the subs bench um so yeah that was um that that was the the peak of his his career um and then I think David Rocastle scored the 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 winner in in 91st minute or something like that yeah. so um yeah with that that's that's when things started to kind of tail off a bit because we were in for the treble we were I think third in the league at the time semi final we were We'd won the first couple of games in the FA Cup as well. So we, we were kind of coasting. Um, We've kept keeping keep clean sheets, scoring goals, keeping clean sheets. Yeah. And then we faced Arsenal. Ugh.
0: Horrible. Ugh. Horrible. I'm, I'm still not over it. Rick's not yeah. over and Forest in the cup last year, but I'm still remembering this one from 87, mate. I tell yeah. you. I'm kind
2: right. of thinking, Jace, if we was doing podcasts then oh, uh, like, uh, and social media was about, can you just imagine what it would have been like?
0: Clive's 49 would have been inconsequential because he should have had about 58 from those two yeah. games because yeah. he missed yeah. chance after chance after chance in those two <laughs> games. Yeah, Unbelievable. I
1: mean, R- R- Richard goff Kind of says, you know, um, Clive missed did, did miss probably two or three absolute oh. Clive, Clive Allen sitters. But then on the flip side, he scored so many other fantastic goals during the season. Maybe chances you might not have expected him to, to get. So swings and roundabouts and all that type of stuff. But where yeah, when you, I mean, he scored in every game. He scored three goals in yeah, the three games anyway. Every game in the cut time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He should have scored six. <laughs>
0: And, and you're right. We we continue to make progress in the in the uh, FA Cup, and and the highlight for me of that run was particularly in the context of how horrible that Wimbledon game had been, and they yeah. absolutely bashed us up. They yeah. I think they beat Everton in the fifth round. That was live on the telly. That was a uh, you saw Wimbledon at, at their at their most uh, notorious in that game as well. And and you're right. Everton won the league, but they were completely. Un, unsettled by Wimbledon's roughhouse tactics at Plough Lane. Yeah. Plough Lane, for people, if they don't remember Plough Lane, used to hold about, what, 8,000, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, as soon as you made a clearance, the ball went out the ground. It was <laughs> it was horrendous little ground, yeah. wasn't it, Plough Lane? And Absolutely. we got drawn away there. I can remember my dad thinking, oh, I hope we don't get Wimbledon away. And yeah. sure enough, Wimbledon away came the tie. But what a performance that day. Not, not necessarily classic football, but but Glenn's performance that day, yeah. you know, people forget how Glenn could look after himself. He was never a dirty player, but he didn't go and hide when the tackles were coming in. And we, we ended up winning that game with two iconic goals from Hoddle and Waddle, didn't we?
1: Yeah. Do you know, um, Richard Goff was very keen to make that point. He said, do you know, Hoddle never went missing. No. He said he, he would put his foot in. He, he would never kind of shirk anything. Um and because, sadly, that, that was British football at the time as well. You, you couldn't. Even though he was, sometimes people see him as a luxury play, you couldn't get away with not putting your foot in sometimes and getting involved. So he did that. Just just a touch of context just before that uh, game though, Jason. So after the disappointment of the, the Arsenal trilogy, um, Spurs played QPR at home. And mm. we won 1-0. And sadly, Dan, Danny Thomas got injured. Um, an injury that was to, to kind of end his career. Mm. Um, I mean, I went up when I spoke to Gary Stevens on this. Gary, because Gary's still good friends with, with Danny. Danny now lives in, in Florida. Um, Gary Stevens was kind of welling up. We, we had to stop when we went through this because it was it was such a heartbreaking scenario for them. Um, and then it was not long after that, then they gone to Plough Lane, um, put in a superb performance. Gary Stevens came back at a right back, to, to kind of replace Danny Thomas. Um and defensively they were superb and two late goals by Hoddle and Waddle. Um and Jason, do you, do you remember what they said in the interview afterwards? I think they gave they dedicated the goals to Danny Thomas didn't they? Absolutely yeah. Which became Absolutely. obviously the lining hot
0: shot Tottenham as well, didn't it? Or Danny all the goals Absolutely. are going to be for you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Because so uh, I mean very, very rarely back then did you have players that would that their careers would be over over from an injury. you, you didn't hear of that too often. At, at major clubs um, or players out for a whole season. For some reason, those things didn't happen too often. And I think at the time, I don't think Danny Thomas thought his career was going to end. Um, when I spoke to John Sheridan, the, you know, the old limping physio, yep. lovely guy, absolutely fantastic guy. He'd come Ray with
0: as well from Luton, hadn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, as well as Trevor Hartley, who was the, yep. the assistant manager. Um, um, he, he talks about how swift he was reacting to that um and he said you know he might not have ever been able to use his leg again if he didn't do a couple of things on the pitch uh, after that wow. injury because it, it, it was so severe um i mean even in clive allen's book and i spoke to clive about this and crackers i don't know he may have mentioned to this to you in the past um the, the guy who did it he was pretty well known for being a bit of a bit of a savage mm. um, did he did he do it on purpose did he not do it on purpose was there intent was there not intent it was just reckless um Mm. and it ended someone's career so um yeah that that kind of had that for for spurs to go and win at Plough Lane which was an awful place to go I think that was a bit of a catalyst plus they played really well as well but I think the catalyst was maybe Danny Thomas uh talking of hoddle and waddle and the
2: ridiculous uh nature of Plough Lane we we go even more ridiculous now, and um, all of a sudden, on top of the pops, up pops Hoddle and Waddle uh, with, with their song "Diamond Lights." I mean, it was, this was this wasn't the time for it. It was it's not you know, a cup for final song, either, football, is it? For, no, it's no. not a cup final song. Footballers are hard men still, although that's beginning to come to a little bit of, a, of an end, but. This just wasn't the dumb thing for footballers. And there they are dressed like Miami Vice, uh jumping around on on top of the pops. It was a uh, great song, but but just just crazy, real left field stuff.
1: I I know I know those two were pretty tanked before that performance on top of the pops. Um I think it was the only way they could they could probably get through it. Um yeah, um yeah, not not really Lennon and McCartney were they, but um I I think the reality was was that that was that was kind of also one of the commercial changes in in the world of football really wasn't it um mm. players players were personalities and Hoddle and waddle because they were playing so well for tottenham and england they they were a name and and someone told them um i think the story goes was i think around um i think do you know the day after hodge's debut when we beat west ham 4-0 the next day we had to go to, to coventry the next day 24 hours we had to play another league game the next day and we lost 4-3 and some in those
0: days as well don't forget and one, one sub substitute. yeah um
1: and I, I think it was after that event & wood went to like a um like did a, like a publicity or they, they'd gone to some sort of media event in the midlands somewhere and one of their, their old friends or someone like that said um you guys can sing by the way um, and that's where it came from and over a few months they persuaded them to to record this song um, and that's where "Dharma Lights" came from. Apparently,
2: they—they <laughs> they actually tell me on the nights I do with them that they recorded it, and then it sort of got kicked into Forgotten. the long grass a little bit, yeah. and um, they it got released. It done well, and they were going to the top of the pops, and couldn't remember. <laughs> how to sing the song they'd literally forgotten the lyrics so they had to have the cab driver put the tape on so that they could practice in the back of the taxi to to mime on top of the pops that night but then it just just absolutely ridiculous ridiculous stuff
1: that story is 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 absolutely true i stumbled across when i was doing the research for this book i stumbled across um um, it was it was footage for from the BBC for the FA Cup final. Do you remember back in the day, hours yeah. of build-up, wasn't there? And I found it on YouTube. Um, and they were talking about the season so far, and they actually had footage of of hoddle and Waddle in the taxi telling a guy to put the tape on. So they were trying to sing the words before they got to to Top of the Pop <laughs> Studio. So that is that is an absolutely true story, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and not, not
2: that wasn't even the most b- bizarre thing of that season. Uh, no. we played our FA Cup semi final and we faced a wine bar waiter, Somalia, <laughs> uh, <laughs> in goal. I mean, it's, literally, there was a wine bar waiter in goal, uh, for, for Clive Allen to go and uh. T- Tuck his old bib in, get his knife and fork out, and go and have a good, a good, a good go at, it, wasn't there? Wine bar waiter in gold. This is like Luxembourg, isn't it? <laughs> Playing yeah, the internationals.
1: Was, um, it's crazy. He was, I think he was, he was a, a son of one of the Watford directors. Mm. Um, I think he played football back in the day for some Welsh non-league club. So he wasn't a complete and utter novice, but um, yeah, he was still a wine bar owner from from I think South Wales or something like that, but. I think that the story goes because Graham Taylor was managing Watford at the time, Um, and I, 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 I you know, I may be wrong. I think Tony Cokin was number one at Watford mm. then. He, um, got an, he was injured, uh, wasn't he? He was injured, and then Steve Sherwood was the backup, mm. Um, and apparently he was injured as well. But I'm sure I've read something that Steve Sherwood was adamant that he could play. So, he
2: dislocated his finger, if I remember rightly, but then something like that. He, yeah. he tested it. Uh, and said it, it's it's okay, it's but right, he still yeah. got dropped in favour of a wine waiter because yeah, he happened to be exactly. the chairman's son. FA Cup Absolutely. semi-final. Yeah. It is it's just ridiculous, isn't it?
1: You know, if you if you can pour a nice chilled chardonnay, you in. Come on, let <laughs> <lad>, you in.
2: <laughs> I, think, I think we were three nil in about
0: fifteen minutes, and with all the crowd exactly, singing, you yeah. should have stayed in a wine bar. I mean, it was just. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know? Do you know? What was... What was quite nice for that, I I I, that was up at Villa Park, I I remember going up to that, I can remember going up to that feeling quite nervous, probably because of the Arsenal semi-final, but going 3-0 up after about 25 minutes, half an hour, yeah, it was like, I I think we've got this, I I think think we've got this, so um, yeah, that was a great, fantastic
0: day. one of the horror games in our history is that semi-final we played against Newcastle at, uh, or at, was it Everton at Ellen Road. Mm, where yeah. We had one side of the ground and they had three, but that one side held as many. And and the players saying, you looked around, it just felt wrong, even though the, the numbers were the same. But mm. that day at Villa Park playing against Watford, they had a, half the whole end and Tottenham yeah. had the other side of the whole end, and then all down the Aston Road, and then all down, what is it, the Trinity Road. And it felt yeah. like, like seven-eighths of the ground was just full of Tottenham and this tiny little yeah. Watford contingent in the corner. You know, it felt <laughs> like that like that famous game at Highbury when Ricky Villa did walls, remember, when when yeah. pretty much yeah. Tottenham took over the whole place.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know I, 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 I know football has changed. I, I sort of miss the semi-finals at those grounds, yeah, no like yeah. it. it was a Highbury, a Villa Park, and, and Old Trafford, and stuff like that. Um, I was lucky to spend a bit of time with. Stephen oh, the Road semi-finals. No, 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 no. Um, I, I was lucky to spend a bit of time with Stephen Clements. I know it's kind of slightly off topic because, out of all the players from that team, Ray's the only one who's sadly are not with us anymore. Um, mm. But I managed to get hold of Stephen, and I've spent a bit of time with him. Lovely guy. Um, and uh, I mean, he still remembers the FA Cup final. But again, that's probably we can talk about that a, a touch later. Um, but he talks about um, when he played for Spurs in that semi-final against Arsenal. Was that two thousand and one hmm. at
0: Old Trafford? Old Trafford. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 he talks yeah, about it the one. level
1: of apprehension he had just before walking out. He was like, his, 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 he felt his legs had gone, um, and it was just pure nerves, pure apprehension. And he said, but as soon as I got out there, legs were fine. And he says, I, I loved it. He said, what a buzz. But um, yeah, I think semi finals are, I think it's probably worse losing a semi final sometimes than it is a final. Mm. But uh, the, yeah, uh, speak to ex players on that. I'm sure they'd probably tell you otherwise. But it, they're, they're always harsh, those, those losses, aren't they?
0: Yeah. And our, our home season finished that, that that year with two two memorable games, one being yeah. Glenn's last goal, where I think everyone's seen it on the big screen now, where he scores the ridiculous goal against Oxford and just dumps yeah. Peter Hucker on his backside. But then the, the following week, which was, I think, just a week then before the Cup final, it might have even been the, the May Bank holiday or something before the Cup final, when... Yeah. Um, we played Man United at home, and, and Mitchell Thomas, like we said, who, who joined earlier in the summer, scored twice, one memorable bicycle kick, and we absolutely smashed Man United 4-0. Yeah. I,
1: I mean, those those sort of final two games, again, I remember them, brilliant sunshine. Mm. We we know we're going to a cup final. It, it kind of, life life felt good. Um the, the Oxford game, Spurs were brilliant that day. You know, we were 2-1 up mm. going into the last, and Spurs should have been three four five god knows that it felt a bit like that luton game yesterday Do you know just didn't take all of our chances but they were absolutely dominant and then the last minute oxford coming ahead um Goff towers the header out and it falls to Hoddle. he's in his own half and he and he kind of takes it runs through puts pete hucker on his ass, and and just wanders the ball in um i did try to get hold of peter hucker for the book <laughs> sad Sadly, he's still sitting down. He's <laughs> off the floor. He never came back to me. Bless him. No. <laughs> um,
2: still, then... still trying to pay to get back in. I think wasn't
1: he after that? I, I wow. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I think he's. I think nowadays, again, I know it's a slight tangent. I'm sure he's had a, like a coaching connection with Spurs. I'm. I'm sure that there's some sort of connection of of Peter Hucker and Spurs. But again, that, that's another thing. So, but the the other one you said there, Jason. Yes, we we beat United four 0 and Alex Ferguson was in his first season. Um, Ferguson was absolutely embarrassed after that game because Spurs had absolutely run them ragged. Um, must have been embarrassed. <laughs> if Mitchell Thomas scores two, one of them a bicycle kick and he could have had a hat-trick. So, yeah, I'd have been embarrassed too. Sorry, United fans. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, Stephen, uh, uh, a young side uh, completed a season uh, against Everton. Um, the club were, were fine for fielding a weakened side, obviously, with the FA Cup final coming up. Um, but Heartbreak would follow at that FA Cup uh, final, uh, particularly for, for Gary Mabber. Um, I think that will always be remembered as the Holston shirt final, won't it? It was, uh, it was it was a strange old day. There was lots of things that just never Came our way on the pitch, off the pitch. Um,
1: yeah, it was it was a strange, strange final. It was. Um, do you know? Earlier, do you know? When, uh, I mentioned I'd spoke to John Sheridan. Um, no one had noticed, and it was only at the point where the players had come out wearing their tracksuit tops. John Sheridan was gathering all the tracksuit tops just as the game was about to start, and he started noticing that a few players didn't have Holston on their shirts, and that's when questions started to to kind of be out, uh, asked. Um, it was a clarity, but do you know what? It was good it was good publicity in the end for Holston. Um and a few people kind of lost their jobs. But um Holston weren't bothered at all. Um they, they were they were quite kind of quite pleased that it, it raised a profile of of, of Holston as a as a sponsor. Um so maybe Spurs were a bit too knee-jerky with how they reacted to some people about how they dealt with him, but um it turned out to be to be good publicity. But um yeah, it it wasn't a great day. Um, lovely day, beautiful sunshine, yeah. But not. not it started not so well. In Clive,
0: two yeah. minutes in, yeah. and Clive puts us one nil up.
1: Yeah, it, yeah. It, you know, it, I, I, when I was doing research, I actually found three days before. Um, I think Ajax had won the Cup Winners Cup, um, one nil, and Marco van Basten scored the winner, and his goal was an absolute replica of Clive Allen's goal. Chris Waddle cross. And then Clive Allen kind of glancing at her. It, it. If you find that on YouTube, you can see it's an exact replica of those goal, that goal. And then when that went in, I think we probably thought it was going to be three or four-nil because we we were we we were playing such, such good football at the time. Um but Coventry were kind of completely courageous, battled to it for everything. Um Spurs, they looked tired. They looked the, like the fact that they'd played over sixty games in the season and um as opposed to Coventry who hadn't played anywhere near that and i think that was a contributing factor. Um, I and
2: think there seen.
1: was yeah the, i think there was an issue
2: of us mentally beginning yeah. to sort of unravel as well wasn't there after the yeah. league cup final and then falling off in the league as well i think just everything the sheer amount of games Physically, yeah. but mentally as well. And I think that just goes to show how much football's played up here as well as it is yeah. in your feet. I, I think it's sure. well, you know, it?
0: one substitute in those days. You know, it's, yeah. I think the cups, the cup, I think, had now gone up They're to two. two subs. That's but, right. Yeah. But, you know, with small squads and things like that, you're right. Now you take people out and rotate and things like that. But in those days, you just kept going and going and going and just mental tiredness and being flogged to a like a flog, like a dead horse. In the end, weren't you?
1: I'm sure. Um, wasn't it the eighty two when we won the cup in eighty two? Um, I think we we'd come close in the cup winners' cup. Yeah, we'd done so well flags. in the league, and we were kind of on for everything. Um, league cup final, yeah. League cup final, and then against QPI in that final, it was like, man, we <laughs> our, our season will turn into a fantastic disappointment if we don't do something. So, I think maybe fans were thinking, well, 42 you know, what? games
0: as well, wasn't it? the league was 42
1: Absolutely. games off. Yeah. yeah yeah um so yeah we did well but yeah i mean you know fair fair play to coventry i i, I spoke to keith halchin um he, he, he's a great guy um a very infectious guy and again like ian allenson that's that's keith Houchon's greatest moment in in his career and he will never forget it or, or, or top it so from his perspective it's turned into a wonderful story but from our perspective, um, we, we we had the absolute ability to win that game with uh, a canter and um we just kind of didn't turn up but i think they just looked so tired and jaded um i think one of the the biggest things was mitchell thomas dave bennett on the right for, for coventry a mm-hmm. bit of a mazy winger he he ripped a was a one that day. yeah i mean was a m- good mitchell was was struggling um for, for for most of the game um and i think that that was kind of kind of pivotal because he was so key to, to everything that Coventry did that day. Um, mm-hmm. But we didn't take our chances either. But, um, yeah, finalised the season, which was so much promise, but ended with with nothing. That's and why that season, it's a fantastic disappointment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you're looking back at that season, as you're right, Everton won the league. We finished third in the end, top London club. Leicester, Man City and Aston Villa, three three big clubs were relegated. Chelsea and Man United finished in the bottom half, whilst Norwich, Wimbledon, Luton, Watford and Coventry all made the top half of the table. Our our, our football's changed. And and that's the season as well that people probably won't remember. Playoffs. Playoffs started to come into football then. But in those days, the team, the bottom three went down, three came up, and then the team that finished fourth from bottom had to play off against the that's three from to see if it could stay in the in the top flight. And I think that was Cholton Leeds, wasn't it? Which that's right, two yeah. legs mm. again went to a drawer. So again another replay. You didn't really have penalty shootouts in those days, did we too much other than UEFA Cup final?
2: But you know I think Cholton ended up staying up by beating Leeds.
0: Uh, yeah. And you know what?
2: Anybody under 105 years old is gonna say these guys are making this up. This never happened in football, all this. Them finishing bottom, them finishing near the top. This is this is nonsense. Honestly, this is how crazy football used to be. It was nuts. I it think, just shows as um, more that,
0: that clubs had money, but it was nowhere yeah. near the, 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 the balance of money dictated where you were. So you could have Luke Watford and Coventry finishing above Man United, Man United could still buy players, but that disparity that you get now just wasn't there. Hence, when Tottenham got relegated, you didn't have to sell Hoddle and you didn't have to sell Stevie Perryman's, and you didn't have to sell, you know, your best players just because you went no. down. Which nowadays yeah. is unthinkable, isn't it?
1: I mean, again, back then a, a big fee um i mean let, let's let's talk about Goff. Goff didn't survive too long after that did he because he no. um i think personal personal problems meant that he had to go back back to scotland and and soonest finally got his man by the way Soonis was trying to get him during the mexico world cup fact mm. um so yeah uh pleats quite keen that um soonest was tapping him up during that period but again that's another story in, in itself but we bought him for seven hundred fifty thousand. um we sold him a a year later for 1.5 million. They were huge figures at the time. Um, and things that probably most most clubs weren't weren't used to, apart from probably some of the big clubs. Again, remember what 18 months later, we bought Paul Gascoigne for for 2.1 two point one million, two point two point two. 2. 2. 2. So, 2. 2. Mm. And that, that that was a record at the time. And even you know, going going back to Scholar, again, the reason why. They, they sold Goff as well. It's because they just said, well, if you want Richard Goff, double what we paid for him, you can have him. Not expecting Rages to do it. And they did it. They offered 1.5 and they said, well, okay, yeah, we'll take that. And the same thing happened with Chrissy Waddle. Chrissy Waddle, I think his final season at Spurs, I think he was playing up top. He scored, he scored for fun. He was oh, absolutely brilliant. His best season by, yes, by far was I think the season. It was it 88, 89, something like that? um and he had just signed a new six-year contract and then a few months later he was called in marseille were on this campaign to to kind of create this this team of galacticos and they offered two and a half scholar said no he said how much do you want i think he said like four and a half and he said yeah okay we'll pay it and they were like what and then chris Waddle was called into the office and said you're going and i don't think even chris water wanted to go no. Um, but but money talks, they, they were huge fees back then. Um, and now they're nothing. You can get a reserve, you can get a, a, a 17-year-old for five million nowadays and no one really bats an eyelid. You get a Tongi and Dombele for sixty-five. <laughs> oh, stop. Don't go Let's there. Go there. Don't, go there. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go there.
0: But but I mean that's that season that ends, as you say, with, with nothing to show for some absolute yeah. brilliant for I mean, I, I genuinely think we were the best team in the country that year, played yeah. Yeah. Played the best football and mm. a lot of games caught up with us for sure. But yeah. but Glenn's departure was bound to hit us hard. Tony Galvin moved on. Paul Miller had joined Chelten by then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, as you say, that that the losing Richard Goff that summer after just one year, and by autumn of the following year, David Pleat had gone. Ray Clements had packed up, and it wasn't long right. before Clive Allen was leaving as well. So that That's that right. whole group just fell by the wayside really quickly and you just look at that couple of years and think so so close bit like the pot era and yet just
1: nothing to yeah. show for it and once again missed opportunities but you know what, this, this this is football Do you know those sliding doors moments yeah those moments when you think mm. if if Hodder would have stayed if Goff would have stayed if Pleat would have stayed if things would have been different um yet yeah, they, they they could have been different but the reality is is that if Pleat would have stayed, Venables wouldn't have come and Lineker wouldn't have come and Gascoigne wouldn't have come. And and all the joy that we, again, we were lucky to see the best football Paul Gascoigne played in his career was mm. the season before and after the the, the Italian World, World Cup.
2: Cup. Yeah, yeah.
1: No matter what he did before at Newcastle, what he did at Rangers after that, that was his best football. And, and a, we, we were pleasured. We, we had the pleasure of seeing Glenn Hoddle. We had the pleasure of seeing Diego Maradona but we had the pleasure of seeing Paul Gascoigne at his absolute peak. And if Pleat was there, he wouldn't have probably come because Venables was a catalyst in that. Mm. So football's about the things that did happen, but the good thing about football is about the things that could have happened as well. Um, Mm. That's why we love the game, really, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Absolutely.
2: But we also also had the uh, joy of listening to Diamond Lights as well. I don't know if it (laughs) quite was a joy, but (laughs) Uh, listen, Stephen. It was nice to have
0: a glass of wine, wasn't it, as well, that season? just felt quite (laughs) sweet, that, around semi-final time. (laughs) Can I have four more
2: glasses? (laughs) (laughs) Crazy. Um, Some brilliant memories, Stephen. Um, And there's a whole, whole host more in the book. And as you say, there's interview with uh, opposition players to get their perspective um Media match reports in there, even a mention of the East Enders Christmas special that year back when East Enders was a, was a big big thing. Um, do you know what? I don't even. This isn't just a book for uh, us old men that shout at clouds and, and Mona football used used to be great. I think if you you know even if you wasn't really around and game football at that time reading this just gives you that almost the genesis of where we are today. As you said earlier, Stephen, it was that, that change in time, just when it began to, you know, the, 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 the trouble subsided that you was getting, there was more marketing savvy going on in clubs. And it is a real, that season was a real time capsule of that beginning of the change and then leading up to Italian 90, as you spoke about as well earlier, and the real big change comes. So, you know, it really is a, a book for everybody to go away, uh, have, have a read of and just get a flavour of, of what everything we've got today, where it all come from, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. It's, um, yeah, it, it was a snapshot in time. Memorable for us for, for so many good reasons and also bad reasons. but. You're right, so many things happened that was to spark the evolution of of how we see football to t- today. And like everything, everything always has its origins, doesn't it? Um, and Spurs were at the forefront of lots of those commercial changes. Some good, some some not so great. But again, that that's part of part of football. The um the the, the latter part of all the players I interviewed was was um spending time with Danny Thomas. Um, what a lovely guy. You know, so optimistic, so upbeat. Um, and he's really kind of considering his, his his football career completely went down the swanee because of that challenge um he's reinvented his his life but um he puts things in into perspective and one of the final chapters I talk about mm-hmm. is spending time with him where he talks about um certain things that happened around the time when he got injured and it's that perspective It's perspective about things that happen in life versus things that happen in football and do you know what we do we do get kind of Highly strung and, and emotionally involved with things that do happen in football, but there are other things in life that, that level level, level mm. us off as well. So it's, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a happy medium to to say to ourselves, you know, good things happen, bad things happen, but again, at the end of the day, we are human beings.
2: Absolutely.
1: So just, to the important that,
2: bits. Go on, Jason.
1: Just sorry. Say,
0: just just on that injury, wasn't that sickening, Chris Basham mm. yesterday? Oh, yes. Dear yeah. Dear, dear. yeah.
2: Just it, horrific. It, it, it does brutal. show you how quickly, bang, it can all be over. Oh, it really can. You know, injury. that's it. Yeah, yeah, whole life turned upside down. So you're right, Stephen. You know, you have to you have to keep a lot of these things in perspective, don't you? So uh, Stephen, I'll ask you again, where can we find you on the socials? That's twice I've asked now. Normally I forget. Now I've done it twice. On the socials, you
1: are uh at FD Book THFC. Um, you can find me on linkedin as well just search for steve peace um, you can get the details of our of my publisher as well uh, they're called chronos publishing um, best place to get it's probably amazon or waterstones um, so um, they, they they kind of sell hardback paperback and if you're if you're kind of tech savvy and you like the kindle go for the kindle
2: brilliant stuff excellent jace you properly enjoyed reading this didn't you I did, and it's it's there was no
0: pictures, so it, it took me some getting used to it. I tell you, <laughs> it's five hundred pages, and like I say, it's it's a really comprehensive look. Not just like I say, at, at games, so many events we haven't covered all the events that were going on that no. season and bits and pieces, but brings back some fantastic memories. I'm sure all of those that remember that season will enjoy reading it. But you're right, crackers, there's so much context that, that applies today. Like we say, dithering mm-hmm. chairman. You know, yeah. and people think we've, yeah. it's just a new thing, but some of the problems of Tottenham Hotspur today are irrelevant. He's now He's yeah, there, we've now done
2: seen seen
1: all all that. Can, can, yeah. I, can I add one more thing on that as well? Do you know, um, ever since the book was released in the, in the summer, I've had people from all over the world contacting me. Um, the Spurs fans in the Spurs community, they're, they're pretty tight. Brilliant. And it's, it's it's amazing when you get nice feedback from different people in different countries from around the world, because their memories are with them in some way, shape or form. So um, yeah, the, the Spurs community is, is pretty priceless. Yeah. Excellent
2: stuff. They certainly are. All right. Well, listen, we'll put details out of where you can find Steve and the book across the uh, at last word on Spurs socials, Steve peace, peace out, as they say, well done. Absolutely. Uh, fantastic book. I hope, uh, you know, the sales go through the roof and, um, Brilliant stuff. Jace, brilliant as ever. Well done to Fantastic, you, sir, mate. as well. What a
0: weekend it's been. Yes. What a yes. weekend it's been, seeing Tottenham top of the Premier League, top of the under-21s, top of the under-18s. The women's team have won today. What a weekend. It's Carlsberg weekend, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's right. a the, only, job.
2: the only thing is I do remember another season – that was like this. Let's hope this one doesn't go. Let's hope you're not writing the a, a, a book of this this season in 37 years' time, yeah. Steve. All right, it's lovely the, stuff. The
1: chronicles of fantastic disappointment as the seasons go. Yeah. It's,
2: fair say, mate, it's fair to say,
0: Richarlison won't get 49 goals, though. <laughs> no.
1: Hey, never, right. never say never, mate. Never say never. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Thanks very much. Listen, everyone, keep safe, keep well. As always, Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.